0: All right, welcome to the podcast for Wednesday, March the 10th. Coming up, the latest on the vaccine rollout plan for neighborhood pharmacies in the province. Plus, is Disney the new king of streaming? And a legal challenge has been launched over the hotel quarantine law. All of that coming up right now here in the podcast. And let's welcome in vaccine researcher, physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel joins us now here on Global News Radio. Dr. Gorfinkel, good afternoon. Good
1: afternoon.
0: All right, a couple of big pieces of news we just heard here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto from the premier. I want to start with family doctors. They will come on board as of Saturday when it comes to the vaccination rollout. Uh, There's been some debate we've heard from the Ontario Medical Association Are you ready? Are family doctors uh, ready for this?
1: I just received my first dose on Thursday, so that'll give you an idea. My staff got their first dose on Saturday, so we'll be ready when we're fully vaccinated, I believe, so... I haven't heard anything about receiving any doses just yet. Unfortunately, despite all of my patients asking me when they're going to get it, I only wish I had it in my refrigerator right now. I think it's going to be in select places. I don't think it's going to be all of Ontario. You know, certainly they're going to aim for the hot spots of which I work in one, Toronto, Windsor, Essex, Kingston, and hopefully Peel region. But don't forget, Jeff, we're only receiving some, what, 195,000 doses? That's not a lot, you know? So I, I'm excited, but I, I, I'm not convinced that it's going to be getting there by Saturday.
0: All right, so uh, anybody who's uh, 65 uh, plus that are waiting by their phone for, for a call from their family, a doctor on a Saturday, the wait might be a little longer?
1: Well, this isn't actually meant for individuals over the age of 65. They're aiming for those under. It's for those between 60 60 and 64 years of age. And why is that? Because they're going to be giving out the AstraZeneca. And the AstraZeneca, as you may recall, was approved by Health Canada for all ages, and then the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, backed off and said, no, 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 let's only give it to those who are less than 65. And why did they do that? Because the original trial only had two of 660 cases that occurred in those over 65. But we have much better data that came out later from real world experience. I'm talking about 450,000 patients in Scotland who were provided the vaccine. And what do they find? A 94% reduction in hospitalizations. And I'm talking after just a single dose. You know, so we know it's helpful in all age groups. But NASI the NACI guidelines are still saying, no, this vaccine, the AstraZeneca dose, is only good for those who are less than 65. So until they change their mind, I think we're, we're going to see the provinces sticking to that And not not, you know, going away from that, although I I personally believe it could be given in all age groups and very safely and effectively as well. And that's exactly uh, after receiving any of the vaccines.
0: Yeah, a bit of a sidebar. Quebec is doing that. uh, We heard they will be giving AstraZeneca to 65 plus. Well, uh, places like Alberta just started uh, today. It'll be uh, for those under the age of uh, 65. Having said that, Dr. Gorfinkel, between family physicians and pharmacies also now coming on board, some 325 of them also giving out the AstraZeneca to those between the ages of 60 and 64. It sounds as if uh, we got a plan in place for plenty of, uh, you know, areas that can distribute the vaccine. This is just, uh, as we keep talking about, going to be supply dependent.
1: It is such an historic time right now. You can't see me, but yes, I have a big smile on my face. The pharmacies, and I'm so excited for that process. You know, it's all hands on deck, and the pharmacies, they, they're promising they could give up to 3 million doses a week. Think about that. That's incredible. Online bookings is already available at Shoppers Drug Mart. You know, we're seeing vaccines becoming available just the AstraZeneca at Rexall, Costco, Loblaws, Superstore, No Frills, and Fortino's, and Zero's. I mean, it's incredible. I cannot wait. Because my patients are very excited to get it, and this is this is an exercise in bringing vaccination to the patients. You know, so instead of patients having to go seek out the hospital, it's, you know, that's a whole rigmarole. This way, it's available to them when they need it. Keep in mind, Ontario's population is 15 million. So now we have, what, 195,000 doses, which is good, but we've got a long, long way to go. So, yeah. you know... I'm excited by it. I think there's a lot of promise here.
0: Okay, you talk about it being an exercise in taking the vaccine to patients. Is it also going to be an exercise in patience for all of us? Because I thought it was kind of telling that uh, both the premier and General Hillier were warning about the online booking system. It'll go live on Monday, but uh, they anticipate uh, challenges and they're asking for people's uh, patience. Are we all going to need uh, to pack our uh, patients here at least uh, the first little while when it comes to the uh, rollout of the uh, vaccine, whether it's online bookings or with pharmacies or family doctors?
1: I think the greater psychological challenge, actually, is finding a system that they've opened anywhere in the world, that they opened and suddenly it was working perfectly. We can totally expect that there will be bugs in the system, as there has been in everything. But the forest through the trees is, you keep trying until it works. So what if it doesn't work day one? It'll work day three, and if not, it'll work day five. They'll work out the bugs and everyone will get the shot. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, you hear this excitement because, heck, we have vaccines way faster than we ever thought possible. Like, you know, yesterday marked the the anniversary of the first death in Canada. Who would have believed that we would be having this conversation now of, you know, our receiving millions of doses of vaccine. So I'm really excited by it. And even if it doesn't work on day one, even if it does fail, so what? It'll work day two or day three. It's, it's very exciting stuff.
0: Right, I also want to ask you when it comes to vaccinations, Dr. Gorfinko, we're hearing reports of something called Moderna Arm. What is that exactly? And should people be concerned or worried about it?
1: Yeah, it was also called COVID Arm before. And bottom line, no, it's harmless, it's minor, it does not represent anything significant. What it is, is a red rash around the injection site. And as a family doctor, I frequently see that with other vaccines as well. And that is not a reason why the second dose shouldn't be delivered. So AstraZeneca, it's meant to be given as two doses four weeks apart. And they've already looked at it. In fact, the New England Journal of Medicine just reported on this. And they said the overall risk for dose one is one in 125 patients. That's how often we're going to see it. So in other words, most family doctors are never going to see a case. For dose two, it drops to one in 500. That's the risk. That's what we're talking about. And, you know, being sort of the minimalist doctor that I am, I tell people, if you think that's what's happening, you just put ice on it. And understand, that's not even the Moderna vaccine that's coming down the pipe at pharmacies. It's the AstraZeneca vaccine. And this was been reported with the Moderna vaccine, which, for the most part, is still going to northerly regions because of uh, storage and other problems.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, just finally, Dr. Gorfick, I want to ask you about the City of Toronto press conference. We're going to carry a bit of that coming up in our next hour. We're anticipating Mayor Tory perhaps giving us some uh, further details on whether or not Toronto can move out of gray and perhaps into red control. Uh, Do you think uh, Toronto is uh, ready for that move and Peel region uh, as well? And how are we going to know when we're ready?
1: You know, it's very hard to gauge these things. And they have to be based on case numbers. And of course, the numbers of vaccines that have been received, how efficiently they're being given out, and are they being given out well enough and to enough of the population? And of course, we have to consider in that the variance of concern. Which are the variants of concern and to what degree? Right now, the variants of concern still represent a minority. The most common variant we see is B117. And fortunately, all the vaccines have good efficacy against that. But you know, when you're talking about gray zone versus red zone, there is a very substantial difference. You know, so gray zone, essential stores are open. Yeah, but instead of 50% capacity, it moves to 75%. Restaurants are all of a sudden being open. Like it, when you're talking about moving to the red zone, you're talking about opening restaurants. Now they're now it's just takeout and delivery, right? So that's, there's some major changes there. Yes, there are maximums, of course, still in place. But even hair salons, this, you know, gray zone is closed. Red zone means they're open, screening guests, but they're, they're now open. And there's a big impact there on gatherings as well. So gray zone is you know, no gatherings at all. And red zone is, you know, gatherings up to five people indoors and 25 people outdoors, you know, up from 10. So there are some very substantial differences. But I think that ultimately, that's a question that public health officials will need to address based on the epidemiologic evidence in that particular region.
0: All right, but you think it's a caseload that we need to look at? Or is it hospitalizations? Or is it both?
1: It's both and, and the reason for that is because caseloads are going to come first. Hospitalizations lag behind caseloads. So what happens? if I were to get COVID-19, I be I'd be fine and then I'd get a little sicker and a little sicker and finally I'd be sick enough potentially to be in hospital. So you can see how it takes me a while to get sick. So that's the thing. The first thing we see or an increase in case numbers, And then what happens is that severe disease follows case numbers, hospitalizations follow severe disease, and ICU and deaths follow that. So there's about a two-week lag. So you're better off to look at case numbers in that situation. And Ontario has been testing for variants of concern, and that's also a big thing in this, you know, because we have seen variants of concern rapidly take over places. And that keeps us really humble in all of this, because what are we going to do if that B one three five one should become a thing? Like right now, it's not really a thing in Canada. It's the numbers are very low, but that B one three five one variant that was first identified in South Africa could become a problem here. So we do have to continue wearing masks, continue doing the mitigation, hand washing. You know. keeping the gathering small, I think we have to be humble about this because we, we don't have good protection against that just yet. Although the reason, the research is ongoing to discover a booster shot that will be effective against that, but we don't have that just yet. All right. We've got to keep that in mind.
0: We've got to leave it there for now. Dr. Gorfinkel, appreciate it as always. Have a great rest of the day.
1: Many thanks. Always a pleasure.
0: All right, vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Okay, when you think streaming, streaming of movies and TV, you likely think either Netflix or Amazon. Well, the streaming game, well, it looks like it's going through a fairly big shakeup, and here with the details this is TV critic Bill Brio. He joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, Bill, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff.
0: Okay, there seems to be a new champ. Uh, tell us a bit about the success of a Disney+. Plus.
2: Yeah, it's amazing, really. You know, these guys launched this service um, a year and a half ago, and just they just announced their shareholder meeting. They've passed 100 million subscribers. So it's it's phenomenal, really. I mean, uh, even their own best targets were about 60 million. Uh, they're at 100 million, and I, I think, obviously, it helped. You know, the last year, everybody's been quarantined and at home and in front of the set. That certainly uh, is a factor, I think, in the fact they've done so well.
0: Yeah, how unexpected is this, or, or is it unexpected, considering uh, Disney and the vast library that they own, Bill?
2: You're right, Jeff. They do have everything uh, from the cradle to the grave. You know, if you're a family, if you have kids or any age, really, uh, they've owned the Marvel films, the Star Wars films, the Muppets, you know, they <laughs> plus their own library of great films and uh frozen and everything else so it's uh, it's not surprising in some ways they really do have the content
0: okay they got a great library and i want to double back on something you mentioned just a moment ago the pandemic and the fact that so many people so many families have been at home stuck at home i mean here in toronto we had stay-at-home orders of course for 100 plus days how much of that do you think factored into the success of a disney plus the pandemic and everybody at home
2: I think it's a huge factor. It really made a difference. Um, I think for a lot of people, suddenly, you know, there are five or six streaming services to choose from. Uh, A lot of people are thinking, well, what are the two? Okay. I already have Netflix, you know, so I think Disney is now Disney and Netflix. If you're going to have two, maybe, Uh, you know, Warner's launched a service Peacock, which is part of CBS Viacom. They also should have benefited from the pandemic, but, they just don't have that vast, deep content that Disney has, I think, and that's what's made the difference.
0: Yeah, you're kind of hitting on my next question, which is, do you think consumers are going to start picking and choosing and are going to have to make some uh, tough decisions? Because, uh, you know, we keep saying, ah, it's $10, it's $15 a month, it's no big deal. But, uh, you know, once you get three or four streaming services, uh, that adds up pretty quickly uh, on a monthly basis.
2: It does. It really, if you're thinking, boy, I'm going to save a fortune now, I'm going to cut the cord and not have cable, well, you're going to end up paying just as much for three streaming services, uh, you know. And and I think a lot of homes still want to have some of the old, uh, you know, media that they've enjoyed for years and years. So it's a transitional time. Uh, And of course, the other thing is, will the price go up? You know, Disney, it's a pretty good offer right now. It's not expensive at all, 10 bucks a month or so in Canada. Uh, But, you know, you can bet that that will, just as Netflix has gone up over the years, so will the other streaming services.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned it's a transitional time. I mean, just where are we going here, do you think, Bill? Because uh, not only do we have Netflix with movies, Disney with, uh, you know, kids programming uh, primarily, but... You know, I know a lot of sports leagues, uh, PGA Tour, for example. I'm a big golf fan. They've got a thing called PGA Tour Live you can subscribe to now. I mean, it's really getting uh, niche.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Rogers has had NHL Live for years. There is a lot of great sports out there that way. Everybody wants to watch on demand, and they don't want to watch commercials. And so subscribing to something uh, that's commercial-free seems to be appealing to more and more people. It used to be just young viewers, but all of us now are, are finding, you know, we've, we've had Netflix for six years now. We know what it's like, and I think it certainly the seems to be the future. Yeah, could
0: you ever have imagined something like this? I mean, take us back to the beginning of your career when you started covering a TV and where we sit to today. Could you ever imagine that this is where the industry would be?
2: No, I mean, Jeff, I go back a long way it was <laughs> You know, it was me and Jackie Gleason and Lucy, I think. <laughs> well, that was the press tour, the three of us in a bottle of scotch. Not quite that far back. But, yeah, you know, there wasn't even uh, – Fox was a new network when I started. You know, it's, it was really CBS, NBC, ABC. And, of course, in Canada, there was the traditional broadcasters. Uh, but even Global's been around almost 50 years now. You know, everything has changed, and um, – yeah, it's just exploded. Though the streaming services is the new wave. It's it's quite different, and it's making um, everybody try to figure out how do you go forward from here and deliver the kind of content consumers are getting used to now, when the industry relied on commercials for so so long. That's the big big question for everybody now.
0: Yeah, and this should speak volumes as well. I know we were talking about this uh, earlier in the week. Everybody has been, uh, of course, Oprah's interview with uh, Harry and Meghan and the fact that it got 17 million uh, viewers. That was the the rating and people were jumping up and down saying that that was colossal. Obviously a big number, but I mean that's nothing compared to the 100 million that Disney Plus has.
2: Well, you're right. I mean it, it it's what's the good news for broadcasters is Oprah and Meghan and Harry did deliver. You know, 17 million viewers and 22.8 20, million in Canada, by the way. Uh, so it, it's still a big room. If you've got something that everybody has to see, broadcast is still where people turn to for that, uh, like the Super Bowl or the Academy Awards. Um, so it shows that there's still strength there for sure if you're delivering the right content. But um, certainly the days are gone where. I think, you know, the the finale of MASH drew 63 million or even Mm. the Beatles on Ed Sullivan way back in 1964, 72 million. You know, like it was the only game in town. You only had a handful of channels. The pie is sliced much, much thinner these days.
0: Yeah, and much, much differently with all of these uh, streaming services uh, on board. And again, Disney Plus, 100 million subscribers in just a year and a half. Bill, thanks for this. Appreciate it as always.
2: My pleasure. Anytime, Jeff.
0: All right. Stay well. There's a TV critic, Bill Brio. You can find him at Brio.tv. Okay, here's a topic we haven't touched in a little while. those government mandated hotel quarantines. Well, there's a new legal challenge that has just been launched over them. And for more, we're joined now by Joanna Barron. She's with the Canadian Constitution Foundation. And Joanna joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Joanna, good afternoon and thanks for your time. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right. First off, just tell us more. What exactly is this legal challenge? What's it based on?
3: So we have brought a challenge along with five applicants to the federal quarantine hotel provisions, which we say are unconstitutional on many bases. They violate the right to leave, enter and remain in Canada. They violate the right to life, liberty and security of the person, the right against arbitrary detention and cruel and unusual punishment. Um, So we say that they are an unjustified and severe infringement on liberty.
0: Okay, uh, several uh, interesting things, but the one that jumps out, I think, for me and probably a lot of people is uh, the cruelty uh, aspect here. Uh, What is that based on?
3: Well, among our individual applicants, we have people who have specific underlying health conditions. So, for example, we have one applicant who's a diabetic who was left in a hotel room near Toronto Pearson for nearly 24 hours without food, which, of course, is life-threatening if you're a diabetic. Um, So, really, the management of these spaces has been so poorly rolled out, and the government has not adduced any compelling evidence for which they would be necessary in any event.
0: I was going to ask you, uh, is the government, uh, do you anticipate that they would counter this suit by saying that these are uh, unprecedented and unusual circumstances, which required some uh, unprecedented action on our behalf?
3: Well, they've suggested as such, they suggested that this was necessary to counter the spread of the new COVID variants. But first of all, by the time they brought this rule in, the variants were already circulating in Canada And second of all, we know that less than 2% of cases of COVID-19 in Canada presently are connected to international travel. And they haven't shown any specific evidence that forcing people to stay in a hotel for three days to the tune of $2,000 per person has any sort of data-based connection to reducing the spread of COVID-19. So in our opinion, they have failed to meet their burden of justifying such a draconian limitation of rights.
0: All right, listen, Joanna, I don't have to tell you that the wheels of justice uh, grind pretty slowly at the best of times, and obviously time is of the uh, essence here. I mean, is this a a case that can be uh, expedited? Can you get it in front of a judge uh, anytime soon?
3: Yes, so we've asked for an expedited injunction hearing, so we expect that our arguments will be heard by a judge of the Superior Court within a few weeks.
0: And sorry, has that been, been accepted or you've just applied for that?
3: Generally, when you ask for an expedited hearing for an injunction, which is not sort of the full application where you go into the constitutional arguments, generally you can get it. So we expect we're, we're going to hear on the exact date today, but we expect it will be heard within a
0: few weeks. All right. And you mentioned you've got five applicants right now. Are you looking for others, uh, their stories to uh, perhaps uh, join this uh, suit as well? Would that strengthen uh, the case?
3: We are always looking for Canadian stories, um, whether or not they're added to this case. We're always interested in hearing people's stories, whether they want to be involved in the case or whether they just want to share their story on our petition. Um, because certainly we're very engaged in advocacy, both in of law and in courts of public opinion on this matter.
0: All right. If there's somebody listening right now that wants to be heard, how can they do so?
3: they can go to the ccf.ca forward slash no COVID hotels, where they'll see all of the information about the case. They'll be able to submit their story. They'll be able to sign a petition um, and get involved in uh, limiting the government's overreach in this matter.
0: All right. And are you just hoping to have the uh, quarantine program uh, ended and ended quickly?
3: So, yes. So we've asked that the hotel quarantine provisions and I should just clarify that we're not disputing the 14-day home quarantine, but we're asking that the three-day hotel quarantine regulation be struck down immediately as unconstitutional.
0: All right, what about uh, damages? Is there uh, any possibility of that, uh, Joanna, moving uh, forward? If, uh, you know, some of these applicants, as you mentioned, been put through some uh, pretty cruel and unusual uh, circumstances, uh, could the government be held liable for that?
3: Yeah, so charter damages, which are, you know, costs incurred as a result of an unconstitutional law, exist. And in this case, we've asked for a fairly modest amount of $10,000 in damages, and that's to cover the hotel fees of the five applicants who are involved in our case.
0: Yeah, and do you think that that could become some sort of class action suit? Uh, I know you're a constitutional uh, lawyer, but could this be some sort of class action suit? We've heard so many other uh, stories, not the least of which, of course, is the uh, one family that ended up getting charged, I think it was just over $3,200 for a one-night hotel stay?
3: Yeah, so Ms. Texierra, that's Christina Texierra, who's actually one of the applicants in our case, who, yes, spent 15 hours in the hotel and was charged over $3,000 we actually um, are, st- are working on getting her a refund from the hotel because it's just so egregious what happened to her. Um, we are constitutional lawyers, and so our end game is having the law clarified and not sort of uh, achieving sort of big financial settlement. So it would not be something that we would do. But certainly if the people of Canada feel like they want to institute a class action proceeding, that, that is within their within their wheelhouse.
0: All right, we will be watching this with interest as it progresses. Joanna, I appreciate your time with us this afternoon, and thanks so much for the update.
3: Thanks, Jeff. bye
0: There's Joanna Barron. She's with the Canadian Constitution Foundation.